My sermon title simply is, What Kind of Believer Are You? And it's tied into that very same concept that um, Helen just shared with us, where the, um, the seed that, uh, that Thomas planted, it's an awesome, awesome illustration. I just also want to say a thank you to Michael for picking that scripture passage and that, uh, that, that song, the lyrics that you read. Um, it's easy to look good, but not be good. We talked about that previously. And so this morning we're starting a sermon series on parables, on the parables of Jesus. We're going to talk about some of these parables. They're all different, and yet they're very important, and they're very meaningful. The parable of the sower and the seed is a very powerful story of what happens when things are not the way they should be. We live in the time of, uh, we live in a farming community. We live in an agricultural community. We know what it's like for farmers to sow seed and to tend to the crop and then to harvest it. Uh, just the other day, I, I love watching combines run across the field and these massive machines taking all the wheat off. And you know what? That didn't just happen by itself. That wheat didn't just grow by itself. They worked long and hard, long in advance for that to happen. They tilled the field, they sowed the seed, they fertilized it, they sprayed, and then they trusted for the rain and the right climate and the right temperature. And I think, well, to me anyway, it looked like they were getting a great harvest. At least I, it looked to me like that. Semi-loads of wheat coming off the field. I love stuff like that. And pretty soon, the way it looks now, if all goes well, the tomato harvesters will be going and they'll be, they'll be pulling off wagon load after wagon load of nice, red, juicy tomatoes heading for the, for the cannery. That does not happen by itself. That is not just accident or chance. Oh, look at all these tomatoes that just somehow grew. Or look at all the wheat that just somehow grew. No, there's a lot of intentional effort and work that goes into that. Life is like that. Life does not happen by accident. There's a lot of intentionality behind it. Life is not a game, but life is a gift. In each one of this this morning, we, you, we, we, we are alive here, okay? We did not create ourselves. We are placed here by God. Of course, we have a mother and father, but that's another issue, another point. We are here placed by God. We've given this gift of life, but we have this opportunity, and it's not by accident that things turn out this way or this way. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can't help. Somebody gets cancer, somebody loses a job, but a lot of stuff that happens in life is our choosing. We depend, we determine a lot of this. I pass up opportunities, so I fail a grade. Oh well. So I don't get the graduation, so I don't get the promote, so I don't get the job, so I don't get the promotion. And so we do one thing after another. Life does not grow. We are responsible for how we live. And life was never lived to be meant, life was never meant to be lived selfishly. We're here for a higher purpose. And yes, we may be able to fake it for a while, to pretend as Amos writes. And I hadn't thought of that scripture passage, it was a wonderful passage. We may be able to fake it for a while, but sooner or later, it will come out. It will happen. And if we get it wrong, and if we get it wrong at the end of life, we get it wrong forever. There's no recovery from that. At the end of life, if it's wasted, it's wasted. It's a permanent loss. There's only one harvest season for life. There's many harvest seasons for the farmers. They get every year a new harvest. I mean, ah, crop failure this year, we'll try again next year. But life is not like that. If I reach my 80th birthday and I have never lived for God, and then it's wasted. If we get it wrong there, we get it wrong forever. So we're on a journey we are responsible for how we live this life, how we travel on this journey. There will come a harvest time. And that harvest time will reveal the content of what our life was. The truth of the matter is, we will reap what we have sown. Imagine this little story that uh, 
Helen showed there of this Thomas showing these sunflower seeds, and he, he got sunflowers. What if he had complained, I thought it was corn. I thought it was corn. It looked like corn to me when I planted it. I thought it was corn. Too bad. You put sunflower seeds and that's what you get. You cannot escape the actions of today. You cannot separate them from the consequences of tomorrow. That's just how life works. We will reap what we sow. God intends for us to reap well, to have a good harvest. God never intended for his people to live meaningless, empty lives. And by, by that I mean, don't mean material wealth. I don't mean popularity and, and, and uh, earthly wealth. I mean living in relationship with God and benefiting and harvesting fruits of righteousness that come out of that living. We're all born into a sinful, broken world, but God in his sovereignty and out of love sent Jesus to remedy that so we can walk in, in, in faithfulness, so we can walk in humility and relationship with him. The gift of salvation is free to us, but not free to the one who gave it. And so it's a huge deal with God. And I also want to say, as before we read the scripture passages, salvation is not the finish line. If Thomas had just put those seeds in the ground and forgot about them, neglected them, they would not have, they might have, but not have turned out as good as they did. But he did a lot of work in advance, and so the finish line was good, because he had a long, good journey. You can't expect to just somehow, by accident, arrive at a good finish line. And so people who receive the gift of salvation, who walk in faithfulness and humility, produce the fruit in their lives, they're living, and the fruit is real. As I said before, we're starting a series of parables, the parables of Jesus, and basically a parable is simply a story that's not a true story. It's a story that's true in the sense these events actually do happen. This is, this is real stuff. It does work this way. But Jesus is not saying, here's what actually happened. This is what goes on in life. That's what the story is. That's what's happening. So let's begin Matthew chapter 13, starting verse 1. Matthew 13, verse 1. Here's Jesus, and he's telling a story. It says this way, Matthew 13, beginning verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath. That's kind of the driveway. And the birds came and ate them. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. That was the rocky spot there. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the, seed, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they did not have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's the story. That's what Jesus told the people. It's a parable. On the surface, it's very simple, very easy to understand perhaps, and we get it. What's what farmers do? They sow seed, they harvest, and that's that. And there's a, there's a little bit more, a little bit further down that I won't read, but I will continue reading in a, just a minute the rest of the story, the rest of the explanation that Jesus gives. Jesus tells the disciples why he's speaking in parables. They kind of are puzzled, you know, why are you talking in parables? Just tell them the truth, really. And they're actually not quite sure what the parable means either. There's also wondering, what do you mean by that? And why are you talking in parables anyway? And he gives them that information. He tells them, but then he digs in. Now he's going to explain this parable. This is what it really means. And this is what I find so fascinating about the story in Matthew 13. And he talks about four kinds of people. Again, the children's story, we already had that. But let's unpack this and see what it means for us today in our time. And I just titled it, Four Types of Believers. 
the sermon is what kind of believer are you, but I have my sub-points here. What, four types of believers. You know what the first kind of believer is? An unbeliever. That's the first kind of believer. It's an unbeliever. He doesn't believe. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says in verse 18 and on, let's continue reading. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their lives. Okay, basic, simple to understand, right? Couldn't be simpler. This group of people, Jesus says, they hear it, it gets to them, but it doesn't go in. It doesn't work for them. What's interesting about these people, this type of person, this unbeliever, they too have soil in their lives. The farmer is doing the same thing as he's doing to everybody. He's sowing the seed. And it's not saying he's avoiding the path. That, oops, some fell on the path too bad. It's not saying that that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is all the different types of soil, the unbelievers too, they are exposed to the word. But what does Jesus say? Their hearts are hard. Never gotten the plow to break up the soil and make it ready for production. So because it doesn't go in, the devil snatches away what was sown, basically distracts them and the word is gone. The hardness of their hearts prevents them from it working in their lives. They have soil, it's just hard soil of no use, nothing can penetrate it. The point of the peril here is not to find fault, as in whose fault is it that there are hard soil. We need to remember when we read parables to only use the parable for this purpose to the expl explain what the parable was intended for. The point of the parable here is not to place blame, why is this person's heart hard, hard? The point of the parable is to explain what happens. So this is what's happening. And in recent times, I've seen this in our communities, and I want to think of our, our country. We are now what's called a post-Christian world. And we have to admit, we live in a hardening of the heart society. And the society's heart is hardening because individual hearts are hardening. And there's less and less tolerance, less and less acceptance of the Word of God. People more and more, I don't have use for this. I'm not open to this. That's, that's your thought. Those are your opinion. There used to be a time when society and culture would make its decisions, its moral laws, based on the Judeo-Christian values that have been passed on through hundreds and hundreds of years, but not so much anymore. And the teachings of Jesus, as described in Scripture, have less and less room. So these people are closed to the Word of God. They're simply unbelievers. And more and more people fit that category. And they can even be in church Sunday after Sunday because it's tradition or because it's part of the community, but there's nothing about God in their lives at all. Their only goal is, what's in life for me? What can I get out of life? And they'll do whatever they have to, to get that and make that possible. Again, the stories of Amos, a very fitting, fitting, um, fitting analogy, a very fitting explanation. That was New Old Testament stuff already. So these people will never produce fruit for God's kingdom. It looks pretty. It seems okay. But at the end of the day, there's nothing there. Hard soil, the unbelievers. Okay, let's go to the second soil. Jesus mentioned this is not hard soil. In fact, it has some soil. In fact, but the, the picture that uh, Helen showed us on the PowerPoint, that was just rocks, only rocks. There, uh, the soil that Jesus talks about, there is some soil, and the seed that falls in there does actually germinate and does actually sprout. Let's read verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Wow. These are the people who are really serious. 
when the seed falls into their hearts. They hear it, they get it, they want it, they plug in. They're into believing for the sake of believing, for feelings. Good results initially. They like to say yes, they jump on board, they plug in. Commitments are very shallow, however. It's feelings-based. And very quickly, it all just kind of... Like an old VHS tape that didn't work well. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I remember one speaker put it this way. He said, these types of people, they're in love with the feelings of Christianity. Feels good. As long as the feelings last, they last. When the feelings die, they die. When the feelings are gone, they're gone. Shallow. Easy to join in, easy to sign up, easy to participate, only as long as it's easy and convenient. But as soon as somebody either criticizes them or maybe puts pressure on them, they pull back. Too hard, too difficult. I'm not saying we shouldn't feel good about our decision. I'm not saying it's wrong to feel good about our faith. It's not what I'm saying at all. But if that's the basis of it, if that's the foundation of it, listen, guys, it won't last. Pretty soon you'll just leave. They're in church today, gone tomorrow. They start out great, lots of joy, lots of activity. You just don't know if they're real. You know how you know they're real? At the end of the day, what happens? Nothing there. You know, oftentimes, and I'll say this sensitively and carefully, sometimes those people are more disappointing than the unbeliever. Because the unbeliever, you give them a face value. I don't believe it? Check it. Okay, okay, we know. Now we know. The believer who's shallow is not a real believer necessarily, just kind of not for sure. He starts off, but then he leaves you in the lurch. And again, it's not here to debate how real or unreal are they. It's just the end result is the same. No fruit. Nothing there. Imagine a farmer driving on the field and trying to sow some seed. It doesn't work. Okay, go home. It doesn't work. Or sowing seed. It looks kind of funny. It looks rocky, but hey, we'll try it anyway. And it doesn't work. Now he's got the work in it, no results. That's worse. So these people, they're in love with love, as one guy said it. Not with Jesus much, but it feels good. And when the feeling is there, it's good. Once the feeling dissipates, then they dissipate. They can't stand the dry season. They wither, shrivel, and die. They do not last. The point is, they're fruitless, just like the unbeliever. So now we have the unbelievers, the shallow believers, those two. But there's more types of believers here. People who also are in this mix, but they're not unbelievers, they believe. They're not shallow. Actually, they know the truth. And they really, deep down, know the, the, the doctrines of Scripture. I just call them divided believers. They, they want peace with God, and they actually produce something, but doesn't bring fruit in the end, but they do produce something. And see, these are the, these are the uh, divided believers. Let's read verse 22. The seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. You see, these are the guys that they got the right teaching, they got the right training. They know this stuff. And they're, they're not shallow. They're deep. But they're so cluttered. They got so many priorities and floating around in life. They got so many things going on. They're so busy, so tied up, so worried about all kinds of things in life. The message is crowded out. They're not opposed to God's word. Only as long as it doesn't interfere, you see. They would if they had time. And I will come as soon as, and when, if, and whatever. 
They are the people who will, as soon as things line up a bit more, I'll serve. As soon as things line up a bit better, then they'll produce fruit. Feelings-based, no, not so much. Priority. So they're divided, divided priorities. The ground is deep. It's even been prepared. Those people are educated, they're taught, they're trained. Background knowledge is good, there's a problem. Just too cluttered, too busy, too, too loaded up, too many things going on. Too, mu too much stuff going on. Start out good, the ground is right, the moisture is right, the seed is sown, comes up, starts up, very nice, everything. And you know what Satan does? Okay, they're not hard, I can't use that. They're not shallow, I can't use that. I'll just add to it, just add to it, just add to it, just add to it. See how busy I can make them, and then it dies. They mean well, good intentions. But I'm reminded, as I've said before in my sermons before, C.S. Lewis once said this, he said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I meant to. I was going to. I had, it inten I had intended to. At the end of the day, if the fruit is not there, it means nothing. They spread themselves so thin and so far that nothing happens. The divided believer simply cannot find the room to do both. And in Matthew 6.24, I'll read this verse. Matthew 6.24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And we can put money, we can put all kinds of things there too. Divided believers try to serve two masters between two worlds, the world of darkness and light, wrong and right. It makes for a very disappointing life in the end because they did really try both. And it doesn't work. They lose everything. So we have three types of soils here now. We have the unbeliever, the shallow believer, and the divided believer. There's one more. Verse 23, it says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 36 or even 100 times as much as had been planted. This is the picture of the soil where the weeds are gone, the soil is soft, the rocks are gone, here it's prepared, it's soft, it's deep, free of thorns, free of rocks. It's been plowed, it's, been, been, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The hardness of sin is not there. The shallowness of rocky commitments is not there. The division of cluttered priorities is not there. It's genuine, it's real. The seed falls in, it sprouts, it grows, and it produces a beautiful harvest. Not all in the same quantity, it's not the point. The point is it's working. Now let me ask, why did Jesus use this story? Why did Jesus tell this story? We've all heard of counterfeits and imitations, and Satan is a master at it. His intent is to derail and distract people in whatever way he can. So whether a person has a hard heart, Satan doesn't mind. As long as he's maybe an acceptable, decent citizen in the community, keep his heart hard, nothing will go in, and in the end, the person belongs on the other side. As long as he doesn't start taking this seriously, just, just brush it off. Just don't let the word sink in. Maybe he cannot keep the word out. Maybe this person has heard the word and he's made a decision, you know what, actually I should, should repent. Actually, I should follow Jesus. Okay, but let's, okay, can't stop. Let's throw rocks in there. So many rocks, keep it shallow, keep it shallow. Just so many rocks, the commitment will always be shallow, not deep. Keep it shallow, keep it shallow. And so very soon, ah, this Christianity thing is not what I thought it would be. It doesn't feel that good after all, so he just chucks it. Dies, nothing there anyway. Maybe he can't do that. Maybe he can't hard, keep it hard. Maybe he can't put enough rocks in there. Maybe the rocks don't even go in because the person's too smart for that. Oh, he, the soil's good, soil's deep. Let's just add to it, add to it, add to it. So much so, we'll topple him that way. We'll, we'll make sure it dies that way. 
And a lot of this stuff comes in ways which we don't even know. The bottom line here is this. All three soils, the unbeliever soil, the shallow soil, and divided, they're all fruitless soils. No, they're not fruitless, but they produce no fruit. And how he has to keep the fruit from coming, that's not important to Satan. The important thing is, how can I prevent the fruit from happening? You see, here's the, here's the deal. In the end, it's not the starting line that counts so much. It's the finish line. It's the finish line that matters. Oh, you almost finished that race. Good. You, you, you came halfway across the track. You're sure you made halfway across the loop. You, good effort. Good effort. You, you're, you, you get to, fin- you get, you get to a, a winning medal too. No. You cross the finish line or you don't. Anybody can start. It's the finishing that matters. And this is where we need grace. You and I can't do it by ourselves. We need to surrender. We need to allow Jesus to do this work in our hearts. What do you think the master will do with these three types of people? Not one of them will make it. They all failed. It's only the last type of soil, the last type of believer. And here's what I believe. This is what I believe, and with this we will bring this to a close. I think there's one key ingredient that the unbeliever, that the shallow believer, that the divided believer, that they all missed. One key ingredient. They did not want to carry a cross. They want to do it only on their terms, at their convenience, the way it fit with their schedule, their agenda, their, when, it's, when it's right for me, then I will. I, 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 self. So what does it take to be the right kind of believer that's a genuine believer, not, not unbeliever, not shallow, not divided? What does it take? Let's read Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and on. It says this. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Jesus is not joking. There are many people in the world, they would love to be part of the the church or love to be in ministry or love to engage in work for Jesus. Just a more comfortable version of it. Maybe the deluxe version. Less work. A light duty version. That doesn't exist. You and I have before us every day this opportunity to, to allow God to plow the ground of our heart, to remove all the obstacles, all the rocks, whatever there is, to remove the weeds, and then to plant the seed and let it grow. My hope and my prayer is this morning that we will take God at His word. Not allow ourselves to be tricked into believing, oh yeah, this little bit we can do, and this little rock won't matter, and that little weed won't matter. No, we will allow God to to penetrate our hearts with the gospel, penetrate our hearts with salvation, repent of our sin, allow the Spirit to cleanse us, to renew us, and then be the fruitful Christians, the fruitful followers of Jesus, that in the end will bear fruit a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold what was sown. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word to us. The stories of the parables are powerful stories. And what you want from us, Lord, is you want faithfulness, you want commitment You want obedience. You want us to bear fruit. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do that as we move forward throughout this week. 
May we be the Christians, the followers, the cross carriers that glorify your name and bear fruit to your glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.